Hey everyone, it's Allison Jordan. We're just popping in to say we have our one day conference coming up on October 26th, 2024, and we're really excited about it. What's it called? Being a therapist in 2024, carving out a space to pause in a rapidly changing world. The day is going to be about acknowledging what it is like to be a therapist right now while learning and also connecting to other therapists. Everything you love about Edge of the Couch, but in person. And we're so excited to be meeting at the Jane headquarters in North Vancouver, not only because, as you know, we love Jane, but also because the venue space is so perfect for us. There's enough people that introverts can kind of do their own thing, you know, big enough that you can get lost in the crowd, but small enough that you can talk to every single person if you wanted to. Yeah, it's going to be a perfect mix intimate but yeah yeah it's gonna be really really great we'll also be there obviously so we'll be networking with everyone connecting with everybody welcoming you there on the day Uh, and we've said it a million times but we are so excited to meet you in person you can find tickets right now at eventbrite so you can go to eventbrite and search for edge of the couch or search for being a therapist in 2024 or you can find tickets through our link in our bio on instagram at edge of the couch pod And if you buy tickets before June 30th, we have an early bird pricing. There is a limited number of early bird tickets, though, so you might want to jump on that. As we've been planning this conference, Jordan and I have been reminiscing about attending the Evolution of Psychotherapy conference together when we were still students and how it was such a formative experience and it really cemented our friendship and we like so true. go back to that in our heads all the time yeah. and we shared such mm-hmm. special moments there. So uh, don't feel like you have to come alone, bring a friend, bring a classmate, come with your cohort. Um, we just love to see you there. See you there. Welcome back to Edge of the Couch. It's Jordan here to talk to you about our favorite practice management software, Jane. When I first started my private practice in 2017, I thought I could juggle scheduling, reminders, notes, and consent paperwork with my own system, using a patchwork of free programs, including email and actual paper records. But about a month in, I looked into Jane, and when I realized how affordable it is and how much time and money it saved, Even in my early, early days in private practice, I knew it was an easy decision. And Jane offers so much more than those basics. I learned about another feature this week even, where I can click on a button on a client's appointment, which will open up a whole menu for booking recurring appointments. And this has already saved me so much time because I have several clients that come in every week or every other week, and I was putting each appointment in manually. There is so much about Jane that makes my life easier, and I'm still learning about its many features every day. For those of you who are thinking about using Jane, but you feel overwhelmed or unsure what that actually looks like, it's time to try out Jane's Demo Clinic. Jane's Demo Clinic is such a great resource to explore different features and practice workflows. Think of the Demo Clinic as a sandbox with fake practitioners and fake clients, but all the capabilities of a real Jane account. If there's a feature we've talked about over the last 15 episodes and you want to try it out, the Demo Clinic is the best place to do that. Here are some ideas of what to test out in Jane's Demo Clinic. You could book an appointment, book in a client for an appointment in your schedule and see just how easy it is to arrive a client and process payment. 
you can create a chart entry. If you're new to charting or want to see how you can make Jane's charting area your own, why not try creating your own entry? Better yet, build a template or find one in Jane's chart template library. You can also try out a telehealth call. If you're going to be using Jane's telehealth feature, you can test it out in the demo clinic too. You can test out privacy mode, which is one of my favorite things. When you have your schedule open in Jane, try the keyboard shortcut shift P. Jane will blur client names and any identifying information. How cool is that? As you familiarize yourself with Jane, feel free to check out Jane University. This is structured learning designed specifically for practitioners and front desk staff who are new to Jane with quizzes to test your knowledge and review of the basics for getting started. You can find this at jane.app backslash guide. Head on over to jane.app backslash mental health to watch a demo or reach out to their support team at support at jane.app to get this week's demo clinic password. We also have our Edge Couch numerical 1MO promo code that gets you a one month grace period to settle in and get started. Okay, on to the episode. This podcast is not training or supervision. This is an invitation to delve into these really big topics. When we are talking about clients, please know it is not you. It is a weaving together of stories that come up over and over again. With Edge of the Couch, we are here to create a space to delve into the topics that were either shied away from or dismissed because they were too big, too nuanced, too risky, or too uncomfortable to discuss in school or even supervision. We are two passionate therapists sharing our personal opinions about the therapeutic process. Hey everyone, welcome back to Edge of the Couch. I'm Jordan Pakel. And I'm Allison McCleary. And guess what? We're in the same space yeah, today. Yeah, we're so we're, excited. We're in Allison's dining space, <laughs> and this is like the fifth time we've tried recording this because we keep dissolving into giggles, yeah. um, but we're being very serious now. It turns out that eye contact in person is a lot funnier than eye contact yeah. <laughs> when yeah, we're recording totally. virtually. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I actually can't make eye contact yeah. with Allison yeah. for now, Yeah, and we'll see how it goes totally. as we continue to record. So this week's topic is an interesting one because we started off originally talking about should we do an episode about religion and how it comes up in the therapy room? And then we realized that it's a much bigger conversation. So we've expanded the umbrella to include, you know, what happens for us as therapists? What happens in the room when we have differing beliefs to our clients, whether they are religious beliefs or spiritual beliefs or even something like believing in ghosts? Because these things really do come up in the therapy room and it can be valuable to be prepared to some to some degree for these types of conversations. I think that our clients should be able to ask us what our beliefs are. What do you think about that? Oh, this is such an interesting one because yeah, I to- I'm totally agreed. And I think as as clinicians, we want to be transparent as much as is safe and as possible. And I also believe and know that sometimes what we believe is so different from what the client believes that it can be maybe not even rupturing, but but maybe it even makes the client re- realize that they don't want you as a therapist anymore. Yeah, that's hard because it is. I think we have a right to privacy and that we should be able to work with people who significantly dis- disagree with us. Yeah. 
And I think, I mean, I'm open to answering any of clients' questions when they ask me explicitly any of my beliefs. Yeah. But I think it becomes more complicated when someone might ask you after you've already established a relationship. Yeah, or there can be energy connected to the question of like, are you asking me to figure out if I'm a safe person for you to talk to about the beliefs that you have about that thing? Are you asking me to see if we have similar beliefs? Are you asking me... I don't know, to argue, like, I don't know that there can be different goals in the asking, but maybe we should talk about, like, what are some of the moments where that's happened for us with clients, where the belief thing has really come up and been present in the work? Do you have an immediate example? Because I'm going to have to think about it for a minute. Sure. Yeah, I had a a recent example. I mean, it's come up for me most often around religion because I am an atheist, and so, or I lean heavily that direction. Maybe I don't know what I am, but... Where I've had clients who are much more entrenched in religion. It's part of a bigger part of their life. And I use entrenched not in a derogatory way. Like I've had predominantly Christian clients and for whom their belief system, their belief in God and the Bible and, and Jesus as like kind of the ultimate sacrificer. Think those are things that come up in the work around like, you know, I pray or I, this is what I believe about life or I believe in heaven. And those are concepts that come up in the work. So that I've definitely bumped into. I would say I've additionally also bumped into people who have been very, very hurt by religion. And then the most recent kind of experience I can think of is more of like belief systems that are not connected to religion. I mean, they can be, but more like how people make sense of life and the world and being a human being. So much more existential themes, like something like, I believe that everybody has a purpose or I believe everything happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. That's something that I think can come up for clients totally. a lot. And that's not a belief system that I necessarily share. So when that comes up and is present in the room, I am really tasked with holding what feels true for the client and holding that I think something else. When you talk about Christianity, obviously there's so many differing totally um, what that actually means for the person. Totally. I don't have that as much. I think being in the city, my belief systems around religious beliefs, spiritual beliefs often are aligned with my clients mm, generally. Yeah. So that doesn't come up that much. Right. It's, it, even with vaccination status stuff, it hasn't come up very much at all. Right. But that piece that you just talked about around this fundamental thing life philosophy framework how does life work yeah that is something that comes up in therapy over and over again sure i i actually think that as therapists the philosophy that we hold is actually key to the work sure like especially for you as an existential therapist totally so the idea that we have one life and i say this to clients all the time we have one life at least that's what i believe no one's gonna tell you there is no right way This is about us getting to what's true for you, what your values are, Mm -hmm. um, that things don't happen for a reason, that sometimes shitty things happen. For me to to say otherwise or to back that up as as, uh, a truth would be, I don't know, saying that my client's sexual abuse is somehow for a reason and I just refuse to to believe that or hold that with my clients. And that is really where I think it comes up in such a big way. You know, and again, we're using this one example and there's so many more, but it's good to flesh out, I think, one example. And sometimes clients will say it as a question, right? They'll say something like, well, everything happens for a reason, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and then I'm sitting there like, I don't actually believe that because if we're saying that, then we're saying that the fact that this horrible thing happened to you is part of this bigger narrative and therefore we need to like I don't know, there's acceptance in this way that is a bit like too shiny polished for me. Oh, well, this was meant to happen. So it's okay. Versus like, 
I accept it in the sense that I integrate it into the story of myself and how I move forward and those types of things. Mm-hmm. Like you being sexually assaulted, you having cancer as a child, mm-hmm. you losing your parent, whatever, these horrible things that can happen to clients, in my opinion, is not part of a bigger plan for you. And it's fundamental to my work to be able to go, no, that, you know, especially when it comes to holding the people accountable who have hurt you. Yes. Like, no, they chose to hurt you yes. and we need to hold them accountable. It's not mm-hmm. part of this like overarching bigger plan. And I wonder how that is for people to to hear listening if they do believe things happen for a reason. Yeah. I think about for Christian therapists or therapists that believe that things happen mm-hmm. for a reason. And what does that mean for how you how you show up for clients? That yes. you help them make sense of their life into God's plan? I would say that I'm, uh, what's it called? Not atheist. Agnostic? But I, I'm agnostic. I would say I'm agnostic spiritual. And um, that I can be pretty woo-woo. Yeah. Um, which we'll that. probably talk about. But when clients who are in AA tell me about... Mm-hmm. Believing in a higher power, I think that I can situate myself in a way that this, you know, I can, I can hold that on some yeah. level, like, yeah. yes. But then when they're, they get into like a, I have to trust the higher power that everything is mm. going to be okay. That's when mm. I get a little bit uncomfortable with yeah. how do I orient myself as their therapist to this idea of I just need to trust the higher power. Sure. And then everything will be fine. Yeah. Because that's, and I try to go, okay, is this my personal belief? Yeah. Or is this something that they need to come to terms with in therapy? And it's hard to to really decipher, yeah. to make sense of that. I think what comes up for me too, when a client is talking about higher power or God's plan or, or will or these types of things, is like, what is the line between what our clients then feel responsible for? What does free will look like? You know, and so we can almost always approach these things with curiosity. Like, tell me what that means for you. How does that sure. show up in this thing that you're here for? And that's how we can maybe circumvent the like, I don't agree with that, which I will sometimes say to clients when they do ask it in that like right way, I'll say, I just actually don't believe in that. Mm-hmm. I, I think of life a little bit differently than that. But if there isn't the space for that or it's not necessary that we can follow the client into, okay, you do believe that and that's how you make sense of it. But then it does get complicated if the way that they make sense of it is very like shame based and guilt feeling, mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. harder. Yes, to for me to manage. Yeah, I feel comfortable telling people that this is how I see things, yeah. and I say that this is how I see things. Mm-hmm. So I know that I'm not the ultimate authority on what is <laughs> yeah. true about yeah. life. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and in therapy, this is something that we're going to bump up against yeah. all the time and to yeah. be open with clients that that's what we're doing, mm-hmm. that I'm, I'm, I don't have the, per- the meaning of life here, that <laughs> yeah. we're trying to figure it out together. And I have a certain level of power. I have my own life experiences and beliefs. So how are we moving through this together? But yeah. in a way that is helpful. Yeah. And ultimately serves health, wholeness, healing for the person. Just random question because it's coming up for me. And I think it comes up a lot in therapy. So I want to ask you, if a client asks you, Jordan, do you believe in God? How do you manage that moment? Because that has happened to me so many times. Hmm. I have never been asked that. Really? Never. No. Okay. Whew. I wonder how I would answer. I think I probably would tell the truth, which is that I don't believe in God in the way that people... Yeah, talk um, about it. Talk about concept. it or, or think yeah. about it. So if you're describing it that way, no. But I am spiritual. I believe that there's some f- – that meaning 
Mm-hmm. I think about meaning and I mm-hmm. think about purpose and I think about connection and yeah. um, just the beauty of being alive. I mean, we could go into all my religious and spiritual beliefs or my spiritual beliefs, but but it, it, it becomes relevant. Totally. And I have been asked more than a handful of times. How which, do you respond? So I used to respond with, I was raised in the church mm-hmm. because that felt to me like I was circumventing the right. question. Yeah. And also ensuring in my mind, it was like, oh, well, if they're religious, then the fact that I was raised in the church will, you know, and, and and I think it's good to clarify too, like the religion that I have most experience with is Christianity. And that makes sense because I grew up in rural British Columbia. And so the religion that I'm talking about when I talk about religion in the room is almost always Christianity. And that matters, that the distinction matters. But when people would ask me, do you believe in God? And I would say I was raised in the church. If they were religious it made me feel like, oh, so they maybe they'll think I believe in God <laughs> and that will be okay. And then if they weren't religious, the fact that I said, well, I was raised in the church would mean that they understand that I no longer believe that stuff. Like it, yeah. it was very like, oh, I hope people infer what I mean here. Um, infer what they want them. Exactly. I hope they want that, the exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I would just say no. But also a very unique thing that has happened to me. I have had so many ex-Jehovah's Witness clients Mm. in all Mm -hmm. of my um, work experiences, in all populations, in all places I've worked. It's the most interesting thing. And so I have this like very interesting subset of clients that I've experienced over the years who who have been excommunicated as Jehovah's Witnesses. And that is so interesting. People come to therapy because they've been hurt. I mean, yeah. this happens a lot. This is yeah. a, a theme yeah. that comes up for me. So it's it'll be people with religious upbringings that have left their religion mm-hmm. or their church, their organization, because they've been hurt by it. And because I work with people who've been sexually assaulted, often it's systems that tell them that it, it was for a reason or sure. just somehow um, try to blame, mm-hmm. blame mm-hmm. Uh, survivors. So that's how a lot of folks may find me. You know, talking about where we're practicing, you're right. Like, we're talking about Christianity a lot. And Christianity is the dom in yes. the space oh, yes. that we're at. Yeah. Christianity is the dominant religion. So I think orienting ourselves to mm-hmm. it would be different than working with somebody who is in of a religious minority. Sure. Where wanting to be connected to your faith connected to your faith different. and to be respectful of religion i feel sure. like feels so much for me much more um tender and important absolutely than it would be like you have an entire culture that i don't need to validate you totally though literally our entire culture does yes yeah. so you feel safe it's yeah. not it's not that dangerous for me to be like i disagree with you because it's not very dangerous to be a christian in canada yeah right Right. And that's huge. Like the power that especially like white Christian clients, which are the predominantly my Christian clients have been white. It's like, yeah, nothing scary happens to you by admitting that you're a yes. Christian. Yeah. Like you have tons mm-hmm. of power here where what my Jewish clients or Muslim clients or my clients who believe in different religions. It does. It is interesting. The experience I've had with them of me being so much more readily able to go like I can lean into it mm-hmm. where when I have Christian clients, I have a bit more of like a block because of my own experience growing up in a church. <laughs> I grew up in the church, everyone. And um, also of knowing that it's the dominant culture. Yes. So there's power there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think having differences of opinion when we're talking about power, mm. I think power plays a huge role. Huge, huge role. Like it doesn't, we're not agreeing to disagree around racism. We're not no. agreeing to disagree around, around transphobia. transphobia. Yeah. That 
becomes maybe a thing around respecting religious beliefs. Okay, I don't respect your religious beliefs when you discriminate. are discriminate. Yes. Yeah. I can't. No, I'm not yes. going to do that. Yeah. Right now in the States, they're looking at Roe v. Wade. Mm. Right? So, I mean, we're not in the Holy American context. Holy moly. So when I applied for my last position in, in in nonprofit work, they asked me, what would you do if you had a client who wanted to have an abortion? Sure. Which was a very valid question to ask in of that a counselor sure. that you are wanting to hire. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to religious beliefs, uh, I, for some reason, I want to put quotes around it, but uh, religious beliefs, I... I I need to be respectful, but it is like a lot of religions are anti-abortion. Yes, yeah, yeah, and that's and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are. (sighs) Wow, right? I mean, I've got to assume so. Yeah. So that's very interesting. Like you're going to be stepping into the room as a therapist, and maybe you think abortion is a sin. That that is going to very much cloud the way that you show up for that client. Yeah. If you have a client who comes to you and says, "I'm pregnant, and I I think I want to have an abortion." Mm-hmm. How are you going to show up? Like, we're talking about how to show up for clients who are religious, but let's, like, let's think of the opposite. Yeah. How do religious therapists or spiritual therapists or or whatever show up for their clients who have completely, vastly different beliefs than them? Yeah. And in this case, again, me speaking from my own um, experience and beliefs that, to me, I think that there's space in therapy to hold paradox. Yeah. To hold nuance. Mm -hmm. And if you're a therapist who is vehemently anti-choice, then I see that as a problem because I see that as you cannot show up. What happens when one of your clients, let's say you work with teenage clients and a client comes and says that I'm pregnant and I want to have an abortion. What does that mean for, ooh, I can feel myself getting spicy. Oh, it's, that, it's spicy stuff. Uh, that I can feel like that that you shouldn't work with that client. But yeah. also it's do your own work. And it's just it's hard because to me, if you were to do your own work, then you would see that you need to be pro-choice. But this is where I guess. This is why the topic is so hard. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's delicate and it bumps into things that are so tender, like religion and like belief around, you know, when does life begin? Like, that's a huge conversation that as therapists, it's important. I don't like you never want to claim to have the answers as a therapist, but you want to have asked yourself and explored the questions so that whatever you give to your clients, you can say, I've thought about this. I've been thoughtful in how I conceptualize this thing. It makes me think there's a pharmacist that I'm familiar with who won't give out plan B. Yeah. And in my opinion, that shouldn't be a pharmacist. Well, exactly right. And yeah. but there are going to be a lot of people who say, well, it's their and it is for religious reasons. It's that person's religious right to not have to give pills that prevent pregnancy. I don't know. It's really complicated. Yeah. Yeah, because we haven't talked about um the harms that our field has done, like around what is it? Um, conversion therapy? Conversion therapy. Oh, my god! We haven't talked about the harms that our field Horrible. has done around conversion therapy. Horrible. And that that is done under the guise of religion. So fucked up. And officially in Canada as of today, completely illegal. Yes. That flavor. Mm-hmm. It might not look like that. Mm-hmm. But there are ways in which therapists are causing harm. Through imposing their beliefs on how clients should live their lives. Absolutely. And the president of the APA, a a former president of the APA, was for years the predominant leader in conversion therapy. 
and also a president of the APA. I think we think about it as like this fringe thing, but like it was super integrated. The relationship between religion and all of those systems, like therapy, are so much more entwined than we want to when we want to believe, I think. Yeah, so on the flip side, there are going to be some clients who seek out therapists who do share beliefs to them. Like, mm-hmm. we know that there are awesome Christian counselors out there doing great counseling work, I can imagine, who are also Christian and who and clients are going to seek that out and want that because they want someone who has aligned beliefs with them. And that's great. That's why I tell clients, ask the questions in the consultations and in your first sessions. Like if there's something really important to you in terms of political or religious affiliation, yeah. ethical um, mm-hmm. like ethical frameworks, mm-hmm. that it's important to ask. And that for maybe, I don't know. I mean, what do you think about therapists who are anti-choice? Maybe they should disclose that? Oh, gosh, that is so, that gets so tricky. I mean, it came up so much around talk about beliefs, like the 2020 elections. I was in a bunch of Facebook groups, which again, we've talked before about how the Facebook groups are a bit of a shit show. But I was in a Facebook group that had to end, that had to be like completely shut down and archived because so many therapists were voting for Trump on the group. And then it just turned into this like massive, huge fight between sides. Mm -hmm. And I have got to think, okay, imagine a black client, a trans client, an immigrant client, a refugee client going to see a therapist who says, I voted for Trump. Yeah. I tend to think that that would be very complicated. It is challenging because in my sense, it's like, how can you be an ethical therapist? How can you vote against someone's... Like human rights. Human rights. You don't think that they're whole human beings, that we are whole human beings. Mm -hmm. And then support those same people in the therapy room. Like that, that, that doesn't make sense. So one thing that comes up there is this kind of both sidesism, like yeah. agree to disagree bullshit. It's like, no, there actually is a reality. Yeah. Like you can, context you can matters. choose not to get vaccinated, but like the science is the science. Sure. It's not an opinion. No. Yeah. <laughs> So, and yeah, both sides is cause client harm. Mm-hmm. Because if you are sitting in front of a trans client, well, well I mean, let's take, let's think about this one, right? Oh, homophobia, homo, uh, homosexuality being a sin. And you have a client sitting in front of you. Uh, this just came up. I just read this story recently of like, I'm a fundamentalist Christian. Let's imagine. And I'm a therapist and I'm seeing a client who comes in and is a homosexual man. And I, and they ask me, what do you think about homosexuality? And I say, well, love the sin or not the sin. Mm-hmm. Or I believe in your right to life, but I don't believe that you should be legally allowed to be married. Yeah. Can you imagine the harm that going into that thinking, well, we just allowed to have different opinions about me believing that you're going to burn in hell for eternity. There are just things where there isn't a safe way to be on the other side of an argument with a client. Allison just put quotes around other side. And also argument Mm because it's like we shouldn't be arguing for human rights. Yes. I think that that comes into play around Black Lives Matter. Sure. That Mm -hmm. therapists believe that that there are therapists that think that it's a belief system rather than people wanting to live when we're thinking about new therapists when we're wanting to speak to new therapists what do we want to say to them well and i think maybe this is where we pivot to talk about what is it like when a client holds holds a fundamentally different view to yours that you like your client comes in maybe and voted for trump and wants to get into why or talks about why or you know how do we manage that moment? That is really hard. It's so hard. I, it is so I, flipping hard. And that's where I have some 
I don't know if privilege is the right word, but I live in a place where my my political affiliations and your branding are, and my branding, right? I suppose, yeah, yeah, is like very aligned with a lot of the clients mm-hmm. that I work with. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's much more, it's less of the polarizing pieces that come up and more like, what is the, what is, how does life work? But if I had a client tell me that that abortion is murder, yeah, they don't believe in trans people or they yeah. think that that's yeah. just like a phase mm-hmm. or something right. yeah. yeah but let's say they're talking about their child their trans mm-hmm. child and that they're saying that i don't know some horrific transphobic things that i would to me that feels clinically relevant i feel very grounded in being like no yeah let's support your child so that feels very clear i think and even with even with trump i don't know it's hard to imagine what what do you think you would say this is the thing where I think you and I fundamentally agree and some therapists don't, which is that if a client is racist or homophobic or transphobic or, I don't know, anti-Indigenous, like these types of things, I fundamentally believe that, that is a part of their therapeutic work. Right. There are going to be therapists who say, no, if that's not the reason that they came to therapy, if they're there to talk about work stress or their breakup or their mother dying, that is the work. And them also just casually being racist or casually voting for Trump isn't actually the relevant work where I say it is, you know, talk about healthy, whole and whatever else. Mm-hmm. That I don't believe that people can hold hate inside themselves. And also be mentally well. Sure. I agree. So for me, I mean, I think the therapists who don't go there get off a little bit scot-free that they can have a client who does all this work and then also leaves still just as homophobic. Yeah. Um, but some people you easier. can't change. Like in that sense. I mean, I guess that that is one of the Oh, Jordan. Like, okay. Look at that. <laughs> like, I, I guess it's sort of a, a fundamental assumption of counseling that people can change. But <laughs> I think that some people's beliefs are so entrenched yeah. that what happens when somebody says something super racist and it, I think as new therapists, I'm, I'm putting myself in that position. Mm-hmm. As new therapists, you don't recognize the power that you have. Yeah. And so instead you feel almost like at the mercy of clients. Sure. Like, oh, if I say, if I say I disagree that somehow they're going to, Attack me. I mean, you've had that experience, so I'm not saying that it doesn't happen, yeah. but you can. What can you say that to hold on to yourself and feel safe? And yeah. I think we get more and more brave the more experiences that we have. But I don't know. It, it, think about what your values are. What's important mm-hmm. to you? What What mm-hmm. is to say nothing is to um, is to betray yourself. Probably a homophobic person is not going to change their mind simply because one time I say something like that's homophobic. Yeah. So there, there is a bit of some like, how do I keep this butt in this seat? You know, how do mm. I keep this client coming back to the room so that we can do the work so that I can hopefully help them with the fact that their mom is dying and the fact that they're homophobic? Right. So there is, I always talk about that back burner brain that we are in the present and we are also sometimes waiting for an ample moment to go, ooh, where did that come from? Yeah. Right. And when, when I say like confronting our clients in these hard things, I am talking about I mean, I don't sound gentle right now, but I am talking like gently. I think almost always if we are ever going to help a client to shift the way that they see the world and to to shift their beliefs, which is very hard, we know this, it has to be soft, gentle, guided, you know, really relying on the foundational relationship that we have with them. So there might be a lot of times where your client says something racist or homophobic and in the moment you just know because you don't know them well enough or – 
you know them well enough to know they won't like this, that you have to hold off and hold it for a different moment. And that is okay. It's okay to be strategic sometimes. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's like motivational interviewing. Sure. I'd say that it's um, it's consciousness raising. It's motivational interviewing. And when people say that you shouldn't have alternative, like you shouldn't have secret agendas, I disagree. I have tons of secret agendas. Same. I want and all my clients to like themselves more. I tell, I actually say that. I'm, I'll say, you know, one of my secret agendas is this. <laughs> because there's that. their goal. And then, yes, I want my clients to, like you said, I don't think that they will be well if they have hate. Clients are going to walk into my space and hopefully understand my belief systems because there's going to be my like pronoun plaque and there's going to be land back poster. You know, I don't know. There's no posters, but there's going to be like very clear evidence in my branding and in how I show up that I don't believe in some of the systems that they believe. So hopefully that means you attract similar clients. But then that also maybe means that racist therapists get racist clients. At what point... I don't know. I mean, this is how we're grappling with all of this, right? About what is our role? What is the capital R right thing to do? Yeah. Like in some ways, just to loop it all the way back to our own belief systems, Mm. it's like, what is the purpose of therapy? What is possible? I think that that from an existentialist place, um, that it's not just, to me, it's it's justice, but it's also, yeah, connection and meaning. Mm-hmm. And maybe not lying to your clients. Like there's something about being real about it with them that it can be really valuable and hard. Something I think that we also wanted to talk about was like always keeping in the back of your mind how you honor what is true to you, mm-hmm. how you hold an in integrity and in alignment what you believe, even if the client believes something different. Like that's a, it is okay to believe something different than the client. And where do you bump into it? And where do you need to do the work? And, you know, those are much more juicy, convoluted things that take nuance and time. Let me, let's shift gears a little okay. bit less intense. Mm-hmm. When a client believes in ghosts. I knew you were going to go there. <laughs> I, I knew you were going to go there. When a client believes in ghosts or a client believes in being visited by spirits or the client believes in aliens, has seen an alien, believes they've seen an alien that are not Rooted so much in religion, again, dominant religion. Right. How do we manage those moments? Well, and I think that this is where we're different, yes, right? We are. Because for a couple of reasons. One is that I'm agnostic for all things. So that includes that I'm open mm-hmm. to things. So if someone told me that they saw spirits or they saw aliens or they believe in them, I don't, that doesn't like bring up any red flags for me immediately, me which either. I think for some people it would. Sure. Right. Like of psychosis like, right off yes, the bat. Right. Right. Which and I, I don't, no, me neither. I don't, I don't immediately go there. And just, I think also just cultural background is that mm-hmm. in my family, like, um, there's a lot of spiritual, like, beliefs in spirits. And while I haven't seen any, I act as if they could <laughs> visit me at any time. So I, <laughs> you know, my mom has told me her own personal accounts and and I yeah I'm just agnostic around all of that stuff so it's easy I think it's easier for me mm-hmm. when I have clients because I can be open to like oh, okay like I take what you're saying for fa- face value totally though you know I think I can have some intuition if there's something else going yeah. on whether it is psychosis or even just like grief grief yeah. or just like I want to be listen to yeah like i want to get my needs met and so i have this story 
And it feels like when I tell it, people listen to me. Mm. Um, or sometimes I see it in metaphor, like that, what people talk yeah. about. Like, I believe in dreams. So that's another thing. Sure. I have my own, what some people would say, woo-woo beliefs. Totally. In that dreams actually have meaning. I 1,000% believe that dreams have meaning. <laughs> and I think even I sometimes hold that card close to my chest because I think some clients would think that that's that that's total bullshit woo woo yeah yeah but i still 100% believe it so they're wrong <laughs> yeah it's so interesting right for some reason it's easier for me to follow a client and this is going to be very interesting to say but if to follow a client to like i believe in ghosts or i believe in aliens then um it is for me for when clients go i believe in god it's easier for you yeah like that's so well, interesting. I, I mean, I guess again, I don't have that many clients that are that are like very that, religious. Yeah, mm-hmm. like I don't have really any clients that come to mind that are very religious. So, yeah. or at least ones that talk about it with me. So, I think that that's mm-hmm. maybe virtue of where we where I'm working from, where it's not a super religious area. Yeah, and so people, it's very private if they do have that. So interesting. It's like something about. Uh, my life has really drawn extremely religious people to my practice. And I have had some of the most intense and honestly bizarre moments in my therapy. I'm I'm very happy to integrate religious or spiritual things into the room. I've had some clients, indigenous clients, ask if they can burn sage. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I've had some clients ask if they can open or close with a prayer um, or bless me in some way or share something with me that they've you know, learned or brought. And I'm always very happy to, and I'll let them know, like, I don't really know what I'm doing. So you lead, I'll follow your lead. But yeah, I'm absolutely happy to integrate that into the work because who am I to tell you what to believe? Yeah. And you don't need to go out of your way to say, I just, I don't agree with you. I don't believe this is doing anything. Yeah. Why would you? I mean, that's ultimately, right? Yeah. If a client has a drastically different belief than me, like they believe that, I don't want to say something silly because someone listening is going to be like, I believe that. Well, okay. I I just came up with an example. Tell me. What happens when you have clients who work with alternative therapies <gasps> that they say are helping them that you not only disagree with, but you feel like they're being taken advantage of? Well, like they, the therapist, could take advantage of clients. Well, someone else. Yeah. But they, a client is telling you. Oh, a client. Oh, a client is telling me that. They I see. see well, I'm just going to say a crystal healer. Yeah. They, I see a crystal healer and, um. I pay them $400 an hour yeah. to put crystals on my tummy. Yeah. And. Curing my cancer. Mm-hmm. Which actually I think I could make room for. It's when people start talking about really harmful nutritionists. Oh my or God. Or naturopaths. Life like, coaches. No offense to know, anyone who life coaches. I've heard some horrible really predatory things. And when you when you hear those things, when is it our place to be like, um, that is not based in science? Not yeah. only is it not based in science, which I mean, a lot of the stuff we do in therapy is not like fully fleshed out like in research. Yeah, research. Yeah. So I can make room for that, but it's when I feel like clients are being taken advantage of or that somehow sold the beliefs a- that they're sold mm-hmm. are going to somehow bite them in the butt in the way Snake that it's oil. blaming them or it's yes. kind of yeah, like causing kind harm. of cultish um Oof, yeah. ideas. So what do you do then when you notice a client maybe um involved in something that they full 
they believe in, that they're invested in yeah. emotionally and financially. Yes. That you are concerned might be harming them. You know, it's come up for me most around and, and I, I'm not meaning to shit on AA at all because I think AA is a really wonderful program that helps millions of people, but um with sponsors. Right. It's come up mm-hmm. for me in my in therapeutic world where I'll be talking to a client about something and then the client will say something like, well, my sponsor is telling me to do it this way. And right. that is a very delicate balance because I don't want to come steamroll the work that you're doing with your sponsor. I'm also not a drug and alcohol counselor. So that is a se- those are separate things. You know, like I don't mean yeah. to – and that advice that your sponsor is giving you – in my opinion, sounds dangerous. Or or I go, oh, I feel a bit worried about that, right? Like that you mm-hmm. can tiptoe into it. Yeah. Um, again, that kind of like dual processing, but that has come up for me. And what is our role? And, you know, I think this is where we can just be really authentic with a client and say, you know, I know very little about AA and I don't want to step on anyone's toes. Here's what's coming up for me. Tell me about how you're navigating that. And what would happen if you told your sponsor you wanted to do it differently? Like, again, curiosity. We can be real. We can caveat the heck out of it. Like, I don't want to be disrespectful. I don't want to overstep. I don't want to change your mind about this. And I just want to understand it better. Yeah. Um, can be huge. Yeah. Yeah. When are we trying to protect the client? But, yeah, it's hard when we know that we have so much power. What is mm-hmm. a difference of belief system? When is it harmful? Yeah. And sometimes I've said to clients – I really hope I didn't – me saying that didn't change your mind about that thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I'm yeah. thinking of a recent example around like, oh, I was thinking about – I can't – I'm trying to think of a parallel. A parallel could be something like, oh, I was thinking about taking this new job and this is the description of it. And me saying like, ooh, here are the reasons why that type of job seems really scary for you right now given the work that we're doing. And then the client goes, yeah, yeah, you're right. I'm not going to take that job. And then I go, oh, I hope I didn't make you not want to take right. that job when I was just trying yeah. to pull into consciousness like this right. is just an example it hasn't happened but I think it's a good one of like here's my concern about that yeah um, but we we have huge influence on our clients potential for huge influence so we do have to be very delicate yeah and I think one of the an abusive behavior an abuse tactic is isolating people from people and things that support them right so to to kind of tell people i mean i'm not saying that that it's abusive to do that but to do what to tell a client like that relationship that religion that oh yeah yeah. um that community that you're engaging in is harmful harmful yeah that's scary when it's true maybe it's true Mm -hmm. but then also who are they gonna have you know like for some people that's their entire family Mm-hmm. their entire community mm-hmm. when you're talking about AA it could actually be you know imagine if that person goes my counselor maybe this isn't actually something that would happen but my counselor doesn't think that AA is useful right. and so I'm done with AA totally. my counselor told me to stop using my sponsor yep. that my sponsor was bad for me that's huge and then now I'm going back to old coping mm-hmm. and survival strategies that mm-hmm. are harmful to me what is the power that we have? How do we honor ourselves? How are we gentle with the client? How do we honor the relationship? Yeah. And and use yeah. the relationship, I think. Mm-hmm. I think about how sometimes we can say to a client, I believe something different and what's that like for you? Or something like if I have a client who is Jeho- currently Jehovah's Witness and participating in actively in the religion and also seeing me, that I can say to them, what is that like for you? 
because I am so secular and I'm not part of the small amount of people who will then be descended, you know, that will live on earth with Jesus when he returns. Like, what is that? That if that's your beliefs, and how is that for you to be in relationship with me? Like we can kind yeah. of use it sometimes and not in a way to be mocking or being like, I don't agree with you, but like how how is that for you? I think we use the relationship as a tool. Yeah. Because we are in relationship but we believe something different. How is that? Like your use of the word mocking, I think brought up a lot for me, where mm. it's like when we have I think there's the fire, like when I think about therapists or clients who are anti anti-choice. Yeah. That that brings up fire for me. Or what kind of beliefs bring up that mocking part? That yes. part of us that kind of wants to humiliate or like. Or be like, are you serious? Yeah. You believe that? Yeah. Right, and right, so right, right. that is another spicy thing to be like, okay, what is that about? What is that part of me that like wants to out the client as being foolish? Or show them what their that their belief is foolish. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Ooh, and so that is like, what what is that about mm-hmm. me? Mm-hmm. I think that there's something to explore there. Like, is it really about supporting the client? Yeah. Or is mm-hmm. there some something else? And like so many of our other episodes, like here we sink into an invitation for you to do that internal work of how is it for me to have a client who believes this and believes this or believes this? How is it for me to hear a client say this? What happens for me inside? Can I notice or am I overwhelmed? Do I get like completely hot, heated, like can't say present because I'm annoyed by what they're saying or, you know, really using yourself as like a barometer is going to lead you to what are the tender bits that are being poked at and how do I manage these moments so that I can, if necessary, keep the relationship intact, do the work with them, help them to move to a different phase of wellness, which is ultimately our goal, I think. Yeah. What should we say to close? Oh, gosh. I thought this was a very good conversation. Me too, but I feel nervous. I do too. <laughs> I also stand by everything that I said. Same. But same, 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 same. And this is, I think, the vulnerability of saying how we, what we believe mm-hmm. with clients, mm-hmm. that even as therapists, it's like, are we allowed? Like, is it stomping on anyone else's beliefs to even have any? Yeah. To have opinions. Yeah. And I think we're allowed to have them. But even as podcast hosts, people listen to us. We have some power. Sure. And influence, yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious. I don't know. And and maybe people don't know this, or maybe we've said it before, but our show is completely unscripted. <laughs> like what we're not following notes here. So we often will like wrap into something that we haven't talked not, about not talked about other. before or like worked out the nuance or have the full answer. So you're gonna get to some like knots in the middle of this where we're obviously in big feeling and we have big opinions about things, but we haven't fully fleshed them out to like a polished perfect thing and I like that about our show but it's messy no I appreciate you saying that because you're right maybe I'll listen back and be like "Ooh, (laughs) I could have said that in a more nuanced way or "Ooh, I clearly was up in my feelings Mm -hmm, there mm -hmm. um or oh wait I think of 12 more you know, examples where that would be super problematic, what I just said and harmful. So I think that you're also saying that this isn't, we're not landing here. No. Oh my gosh. Not at all. These, (laughs) these are not finite. This isn't what we believe with the, you know, not the the final version. No. Yes. That this is today, Mm -hmm. November or December 1st. Holy. These are what, these are the thoughts that are coming. Yeah, I, I I think that we should be held responsible for but for what we say, but also 
we're just um we're exploring these things We've gotten feedback after other episodes where listeners have reached out and said, hey, you said this thing and here's why I disagree or I think something different. And actually, I've we've been able to go, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. that was a consideration that wasn't even on the table because I was just in my thoughts and going with it. So we do value input and we, we are not – very few, I think, of the things that we say are we like, this is definitely how I'll feel always. Yeah. <laughs> We're open to – and we know that, you know, because we each have distance from religion to some degree, and we talked about religion a lot, that it's not going to feel as hard for us to say these types of things, but it might feel hard to hear. I don't know yeah. if you are religious. Yep. For example, or you do believe in ghosts, which is <laughs> fine if you believe in ghosts. Allison does not clearly I that mocking her comes out. <laughs> I don't believe in ghosts. But I, I believe that my clients believe they've seen ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's condescending, but (laughs) I I believe you think And this is where we are, right? So we're not fully landing anywhere. And um, so you don't have to either. Yeah, you don't have to either. And we'll probably, you know, honestly, we'll probably stop recording and continue talking about this because it's it's percolating and we'll have more thoughts. But this is where we are today. We're at time. So thank you for listening. If you've listened this far, if you didn't turn us off in, in some kind of rage. Yeah. <laughs> we so appreciate all of you. And honestly, we're coming to the close and uh, to the end of the season. And it just means everything to us that you all have continued to listen and grow and support us. Yeah. So reach out, let us know what you think. Send us an email at connect at edge of the couch.com or send us a DM on Instagram. Yep. And we'll see you next time. See you next time. Hey there, this is Katie from Jane. Thanks for letting our team join you for this season of Edge of the Couch. By now, you've heard us tell you all about Jane, the practice management software that wants to help helpers just like you. Now, we want to invite you to come experience Jane for yourself. There are a few easy ways you can do that. Head to jane.app forward slash mental health and book a demo with us. Our team would love to meet you, hear your story, and show you around. You can also email us at support at jane.app. We love answering any questions you have, whether you're not quite ready to commit or you're a brand new user. We've got you covered. Finally, if you're ready to run with Jane, go to jane.app forward slash sign up. You can use the promo code edgecouch1mo for a one month grace period, a little gift from us to you. So from our team here at Jane, we're cheering you on as you grow and manage your business. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at connect at edgeofthecouch.com to tell us what you think, ask a question, or let us know what type of episode you'd love to hear. You can even send us a voice note for us to play in a future episode. You can support us by giving us a review on Apple Podcasts, sharing the show with a friend, or supporting us on Patreon. Join us next time at The Edge of the Couch. Oh, 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 o